Well, I know if you were to let your Bibles fall open, they would fall open probably to the wrong place right now because we're not going to be in Matthew today. We're departing. So, yeah, shocker, right? And uh, so let's go over to Romans. We're going to start in Romans. I really, my hope today, I, I, I want for this message to serve as an encouragement to every believer in Christ who may be struggling with assurance of salvation. And I want it to be an encouragement for all believers. And I am focused upon uh, believers here in this message, but if you are an unbeliever, the Spirit of God may very well grab your attention this morning through the words that are spoken. So I don't leave you out. I am just focusing my thoughts primarily uh, to those who are already in Christ or believe that you are in Christ. Let me read the first four verses of Romans 8. We're not going to only be in Romans 8. I'm actually selecting three passages that we'll be looking at. And of course, there won't be an in-depth look at these passages, but I trust sufficient to bring encouragement to you from three different places in Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Some of your minds may be making a connection with what was said in the last hour. And there in those four verses, you have at least two, possibly three uses of the law, uh, the word law, uh, which was something that. The brother was talking about, and that's an example of it right there. But that's not where we'll be going in this message. Last week, from Jesus' own words, we emphasized that eternal life and heaven will only be reached by those who enter by the narrow gate. That opens up to a narrow, or some translations as a New King James, difficult way. I submitted to you last week that Jesus Christ is the narrow gate. And that following him is the narrow way. It's a way of difficulty. As we face the resistance of the world, the flesh and the devil. Who are who are who is which is trying to get in the way. Trying to hinder you. By disturbing your peace and your joy, distracting you from him who is our life and from the eternal life to which he is leading you. Life is the end. If you're you've come through the narrow gate, you're on the narrow way. Life is the destination, right? We saw that last week. Destruction is the destination of any other way, which is the wide gate and broad Way, But there is resistance. 
Our flesh continues to be with us even after we are born again. Again, we heard that in the last hour. And we must regularly mortify its uprisings. And only those who have the spirit of life in Christ that Paul alludes to here in Romans 8, only those have the capacity to mortify, to truly mortify the flesh and the deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh. One of the ways that we can be sure that we have the spirit of life in Christ and are free from the law of sin and death and the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us is that we walk in the spirit and not the flesh. That's one of the ways Paul speaks of that in the verses that we just read, and he unpacks it as he continues on in Romans 8. And we're often quick to go to those parts of Romans 8. And I think perhaps too quickly skip over where Paul begins in Romans 8. The evidences of this walk, and that's something that we've been talking about over the last two days in the four sessions I've had with the the guests that are here with us, and I know all of you weren't in those sessions, but you know about the evidences that the Bible gives that brings an encouragement to the assurance that you truly are saved. And the evidences of this walk that encourage us uh, that we do, in fact, have eternal life. That with this topic of the study over the last few days is not the only thing you need to know and not the only thing you need to focus on. In fact, I would say to you, it is not the first thing you need to know. It's not the first thing you need to focus on. When we think of assurance, we can think of it subjectively. And that's kind of what we've been dealing with over the last couple of days. The subjective assurance. In other words, the sense of assurance. I feel assured. But that fluctuates, doesn't it? And it fluctuates depending upon the exercise of our God-given faith, as well as the presence or absence of unconfessed sin. It gets in the way. It brings disturbance as well. It should. Now, that's the subjective side of the assurance of salvation. But there is an objective assurance. And looking at assurance that way, it is as sure as God Himself. It is as sure as the God who promises. And so today, I want to bring attention to what is, in my opinion, a most fundamental matter of all, for all of us, every Christian, to have full assurance of the hope of eternal life. Do you want full assurance? What we're going to talk about today is fundamental to that. You see, it's possible to be so fixated upon looking for evidences of faith and evidences of the life of Christ in you that the evidences take precedence over Christ himself. Are you hearing that? And if that happens in your life, you're in trouble. You're, going to, you're either going to move in the direction of an, of an arrogant, proud, cocky Pharisee, 
or into the slew of despond, one or the other. Full assurance before God will never, and I emphasize that all caps, never will it come by way of self-evaluation. At the same time, you see, there's always a, a yeah, but here in these things, a now, not yet kind of principle. At the same time, lack of assurance is the natural result of one who forgets or loses sight of who he is in Christ. The more a true believer understands and receives by faith all that you are in Christ, the greater will be the evidences of the life of God in your soul worked out in your life, and assurance will simply abound. Just like the Scripture says it should. Peter said that. You will abound in your knowledge of Jesus Christ if these things are evident in your life. It's the knowledge of Jesus Christ that brings forth more fruit. And you see, it's a kind of like a circle, isn't it? It's a cycle. The evidences must never be disconnected from Christ Himself. Believer, your assurance of eternal salvation must be grounded in your position in Christ. You will continue to have conflict with sin. You'll have conflict with this world. You'll have conflict. Your flesh is going to have going to drive you crazy at times. Satan is not going to leave you alone or the demonic realm will not leave you alone very long. They may for a while, but there's always the assaults that you can anticipate while in this world. But none of these, none of these can separate you from who you are in Christ. Okay, we're going to see that from three Passages of Scripture. I want to encourage you this morning. The first is Romans 8. You are now, N-O-W, and I'm emphasizing that in each of these points, you are now, believer, you are now under no condemnation. While it's true that there will be evidence of the Spirit of life in Christ in your life as you are led by the Spirit and not the flesh... The most certain ground upon which to base your assurance is the very word of God. And the very word of God says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't race past this statement of truth to concentrate upon the following practical evidences in Romans 8. Don't do that. Camp here. Stay here. Anchor yourself here in this reality. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You notice he says there is therefore there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He has just established back in verse 24, as he has reviewed the tension, and I'm not going into the theology of Romans 7, but you can't deny that there has been presented a great tension, a great struggle, a great battle, so that the apostle cries out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what is the answer? The answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord Therefore, he begins in chapter 8. Therefore, now, because of Christ Jesus, our Lord, 
There's no condemnation to those who are in Him. Every believer is fully without reservation, even though filled with conflicts, even though filled with battle scars. You are fully justified in Christ Jesus. And you will never have peace and joy in your life as a believer unless you fully embrace this reality that of who you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. In yourself, that's all there is. In yourself, all there is is condemnation, right? And so if you go looking at yourself, that's all you're going to find. That's all you're going to conclude. And and you're going to live a life of condemnation, self-condemnation, living under, even sitting under preaching. You're just going to constantly be condemning yourself. But if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. In Christ Jesus. Did you know that in Christ Jesus... Or something related to that. In Christ Jesus. In Him. In Christ. Did you know that that is the most common New Testament description of a Christian? Did you know that? There is no other expression in the New Testament that, it, that describes the Christian more than that right there. Well, that tells me that that's extremely significant. It's fundamental. And we need to talk about it more than we do. By the way, that language in Christ Jesus is our union with Christ. And it's who we are in Christ. Well, think just briefly with me. We are chosen in Him. Ephesians 1.4 Just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before Him in love, who has saved us, Second Timothy 1, 1, 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given, us, given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Our righteousness is in Him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And by the way, this is only one of numerous verses I could read. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our righteousness is in him. All that is satisfying to God, everything that is satisfying to God is ours in him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. But of Him, God, are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in Christ Jesus. And then God's love for you is secure in Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that's security. The secure ground of your acceptance with God is your union with Jesus Christ. I can't make that be real to you. I can't make that affect you. But that ought to be a deep, a deep place of meditation for you in your soul. In Christ. There is security. The removal of condemnation is not dependent upon you. It's not dependent, it's not dependent upon who you are. It's not dependent upon who you perceive yourself to be. The question is, are you in Christ Jesus? Feelings are important, but they are not the ground of hope or full assurance. Actions are important. We talked about that in the last couple of days, but actions are not the ground of hope or full assurance. Only in Christ Jesus are you free from a guilty verdict and condemnation before God. Only in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, in Christ Jesus, now there is no condemnation. Now, right now. Right now at 11.41 a.m. April 10th, 2022. Right now. Right now. No condemnation. Believer, are you receiving this? Is faith interacting with this reality? You see, this is not a wait and see matter. Paul has already stated back in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, he doesn't say, therefore, in hopes of being justified by faith. That's the doctrine of a lot of folks. As I said to the young adults this last week, there's even a reformed, a, a, a circle within the reformed circle that talks like that. No, he says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with, we have right now, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, no condemnation. Jesus did what the law never did or ever could do. We read that in verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He did it. He accomplished that. As a believer, listen, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul said that back in chapter 3. By the law is the knowledge of sin. But by Jesus Christ, the law is fulfilled. And we are declared righteous. And only by Jesus Christ. 
as we heard in the last hour, not by the law, so that there is no condemnation. So as a as a believer, battle worn and weary, listen, there is now no condemnation. You can face your sin. You can face your failures. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, children, pastors, neighbors, whoever you are, you can face your sins. You can face your failure in all honesty and humility with the confidence that condemnation is removed. You can honestly confess your faults to God with no fear of condemnation because you see, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Did you, did you hear that? He's faithful, faithful, faithful. He's a faithful God. He's faith, faithful to who? Well, he's faithful to himself. I mean, the son gave his life. You know, the father, he's the, this is the blood of the everlasting covenant that's been spilled. We'll see that in a few moments in Hebrews. But, you know, he is faithful and he's just. He's righteous. He's right in forgiving you. You didn't earn that forgiveness. He earned it. He's just granting to you what has already been earned by Jesus Christ. You're under no condemnation, not because of you. So quit looking at yourself. Quit trusting in yourself. Quit reading the books that tell you, well, if you don't do this and do this and do this, then maybe, you know, maybe you're not going to receive that forgiveness. It's not about you. It's about what Christ has done. No condemnation. In Christ Jesus, condemnation is gone now and forever. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. Not only are you now under no condemnation, your life is now, N-O-W, your life is now hid or hidden with Christ in God. This is phenomenal. If then, Colossians 3 verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Get your minds on Him. Get your minds on on Christ. That's where He is. Get your minds on Him. Get your affections on Him. Be moved toward Him. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with Him in glory. Again, receive this by faith. If you have the faith of the Son of God in you, receive. That's what faith does. Faith receives. Faith engages. You are hidden with Christ. This is language of security. This is language of protection. A.T. Robertson, who is a Old Greek scholar says this of this phrase, hidden with Christ in God. This is so good. He said, the believer's life remains concealed. He's, he's opening, opening up the word hid or hidden. It remains concealed, locked together with Christ. 
locked together with Christ in God. He adds, no hellish burglar can break that combination. I don't know if that helps anybody right now. That helps me. I don't know if you have ever been assaulted, but I have. And, and I know some of you have. But there is no hellish burglar who can break that combination. You are secure. The certainty of your security does not depend upon you. Believer, do you grasp the significance of your present relationship in God or with God? And we're talking about God. We're talking about the creator of the universe, the holy, holy, holy God, the infinite God. We're talking about the one before whom you will stand, the one to whom you will give an account And Paul is writing here and he is saying, you died. This is if you've been raised with Christ, you've been born again. You you died and your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. I am sure there's much more to be said about that than I could even express. But if you can just take the simple realities of your life Hidden, concealed, kept in, preserved with Christ in God. You can hear there that that is absolute security. You see, God does not see the law of commandments against you. He doesn't see them. He doesn't see the yuck of your sin. You are forever safe with Christ in God. Don't get me wrong. You know, you mean God doesn't see what I'll do, whatever I want to know. He sees what you do. He does, believer, he doesn't see it to hold it against you. Oh, he will deal with you as a father deals with his child whom he loves. Yes, he will chase and he will deal with you. But you are forever saved. You're his. You're his. Do you believe this? Do you have Faith to lay hold of this reality today. Your identity is now inseparably linked to the crucified, risen, ascended, and reigning Lord Jesus. And this cannot change. It cannot change. This present relationship is the very foundation of assurance of your future hope. Do you see what Paul says in Colossians 3, 4? After saying, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When this Christ, the Christ with whom your life is hidden in God, when Christ, when he who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Do you hear the hope there? The future hope that you have as His child? And it is that hope, it is that reality, it is knowing that 
and dwelling upon that and being affected every day of your life, walking in this faith right here, living with this reality in you. It is that that forms the catalyst for the life that you live. So he goes on to say in verse five, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Live life. From this fundamental sense, the reality that your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then look for him as you live out the life that he has called you to live now until he comes or until you're called to be with him. Your life now, though, right now, is hidden with Christ in God. I can't make that a reality for you. I can't make you see that. I can't make you be affected by that. But the Spirit of Christ can. He can make that a reality that your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God right now. And there's a third Picture that's given to us, if we want to call it a picture, in Hebrews chapter 10, a truth that is unveiled to us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren... Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now think about this. The the language that's being used here, the apostle is using the the typological language of the Old Testament, the the, the priesthood and the, the activity of priests in the Old Testament and the and the shedding of blood and the sprinkling of blood and the washing of water and all the things that went on in that system under Moses that's fulfilled in Christ. He is now, he is now bringing that forward and he's speaking to us. And if, and if you were a, a, a Jew living in that, in this day when Paul was writing, it, these things were unconscionable. And how in the world could you say that anybody had boldness to enter the holiest? Under that system, there was only one who could enter the Holy of Holies. And that was once every year. And that was after much preparation and much fear and trembling. You don't go into the presence of God half cocked. That's not the boldness that the apostle is talking about here. But he does say having boldness to do what. Most men and women never, ever had the opportunity to do under the old system, right? Under the Mosaic economy, under the old covenant. But now here in the new covenant, he's saying, no, it's different now. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil. 
That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, there, there does need to be a high priest over the house of God. There, there always did need to be a high priest over the house of God. And there still is a high priest over the house of God. But he's not a, a, a priest after the order of Aaron or the Levitical priesthood. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not of the tribe of Levi, but of a tribe that never heard of a priest coming from them. The tribe of Judah. Having a high priest over the house of God, whose house we are. He said that earlier in Hebrews, whose house we are if we hold fast that confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us draw near, he says, with a true heart, with a sincere, a genuine heart, in full assurance of faith. There's that word again. Full assurance of faith. Having our hearts or our hearts having been. This is something that has happened that has continuing results. That's the verb tense that's used here. And again, he's using the typical typological language of the old covenant, but bringing it forward and showing this has been fulfilled. Having our hearts sprinkled, not not just in the old covenant, what was sprinkled physically. I mean, blood was sprinkled on everything, but it was physical. It was external. But there was, of course, there was in there was internal realities and truths that were being portrayed But here he says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. By the way, in the old King James, it says faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. This is the word that's normally translated hope here. And and so you could say the expectation of faith, which is hope. Hope and faith are very much related Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Brethren, we now, right now, We have access to God with full assurance because of the blood of Jesus. We have boldness to enter the holiest, the very presence of God. And why do we have that boldness? Too many of us are are measuring our boldness, measuring our, our right, perhaps I should say, to go into the presence of God now in prayer by who we are and what we have done. And so if we feel good about ourselves, then we have access. If we don't feel good about ourselves, then we don't have access. And that, and that, and that approach to God, it, it wanes. It goes all over the place. We're, we're afraid to go before Him. And sometimes we feel good about going before Him. Sometimes we feel bold. Sometimes we don't. Listen, the boldness that we have to enter the holiest is never on the basis of you. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And I believe that we ought to plead the blood of Jesus Christ more than we do. And I'm speaking to myself here. As we enter the presence of God. And when we do so, I assure you, the Father is pleased. He's pleased with the sacrifice of His Son. He's pleased with the death and the life of His Son who is interceding for us. You see, He is the High Priest. And so that we have boldness, free and fearless confidence. Or, as someone has said, cheerful courage. Or, the same person says, assurance. When he says, Having boldness. It's the assurance that you really are entering into the holiest place. The very presence of God. And He's hearing you. He's relating to you, with you. Brethren, I ask you, do you hear God's Word? This is God's Word. You have access as a as a member of the very house of God, to boldly, with full assurance, enter. He says, having boldness to enter, to go in. You're welcomed because you are in and with Christ. Remember what Colossians says? With Christ. In God. In God. It's safe for you to go. Into the holiest. So, why are you so reluctant? Why would you draw back? Why are you unsure? Is that a fair question? Why why are you unsure? Why are you living with a lack of confidence? What is it? Where's the problem? He says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true, a genuine, a sincere heart. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Not a full assurance of works. A full assurance of faith. Full confidence. On what basis? On what basis should you draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith? Faith in what? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Something has happened to you. It's not you or your works or your worthiness. It's faith in what has been done for you. Faith in that which has been applied to you by the perpetual application of the cleansing blood of Christ and the washing of the Spirit. You are a possessor of the Holy Spirit. He's done something in you. He's taken that which Jesus has done and He's applied it to you. And so He moves upon you to bring you into a full assurance of faith in Jesus Christ and thereby you have access with boldness Full assurance of of faith. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? What are you hearing when you hear full assurance of faith? Doesn't that tell you you need to be engaging faith? This is something God's given to you if you're a believer. God has given you this faith. He's given it to you to exercise. 
He didn't give it to you for it to work till I dormant. You're to engage the very truths, the very realities that have been communicated to us. And by the way, let me just reference Titus 3 in verses 5 through 7, supporting what I'm saying here about my interpretation anyway of verse 22. Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness. Through the washing of water. This is not baptism here. Washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the agent that is doing this work, that is applying the, that is, we might say, if we want to use the Old Testament um, imagery, sprinkling the blood, applying the blood. And then the word is applied. And there's this washing that's going on. And it's happened. But it is continuing to happen. So the John says in First John, you are continually being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the language of Scripture. Titus 3.6, whom He poured out. Who poured out? God poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior when He ascended. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And He continues to be poured out upon those who are born of the Spirit. That, having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hebrews goes on. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I believe I can say that we dishonor what has been accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ and His present representation for us. And I don't believe the Father is pleased at all when we are shaky over this matter of the certainty of our salvation. He didn't do what He did in order for you to live your life shaky. He has not promised what He has promised so that you would live your life in unbelief, wondering, questioning, is this really so? No. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Not because of you. Man, I waver all over the place when I get my eyes on me, when I think about me, when, I, when I'm evaluating me. But not when I set my eyes where my eyes need to be. Not where I set my heart upon what my heart ought to be upon. And who is that? God 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he's giving us a reason here for he who promised is. He's faithful, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's faithful. He is faithful who is promised. He's faithful. I'm trying to encourage you with this reality. But the encouragement shouldn't stop with me. All of us who know Christ ought to be encouraging one another. And do you notice the context in which verses 24 and 25 are found? We, we often go to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 to talk about how we should gather together and you know, provoke one another to love and good works and so forth. And we, we like to sort of yank those verses out and throw them at one another, especially to try to guilt people into coming to church or whatever. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but sometimes that's, that's why it's used. But do you understand what's going on here? One of the very reasons that we come together is because we need encouragement. And God has ordained it. God, listen to what he says, and let us, and let us, he's like, it's a continuing thought here, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is not an insignificant thing that's going on here right now in this room or in our gathering today. Not just what's going on right here in this room, but our gathering together today. We need one another. I mean, brothers, some of you really do encourage me. Some of you really do. You, you point me to Christ in a way that I need to be pointed to Him. I do. I need that. You say, well, preacher, don't you already know Him? Don't you already believe in Him? I do, but I need you. You need me. We need one another. This is God's way. It's God's way. You say, well, can't God do it, do it Himself? Quit asking questions like that. Don't mock God. He has chosen to work through means. You know that. If you want to get theological about it, we could get into that. But don't, don't go there. Just listen to the Scriptures and engage in faith. Believe what God says. This is His design. And I believe that full assurance of faith is encouraged. It is helped in the lives of the saints as we are engaging with one another. And it's not just on Sunday, but this is a cycle of seven, one in seven days of the week where we are, we've, it's, you know, it's been appointed that we gather together. And so don't forsake that. But don't forsake it just to go to church. You know, check off the religious activity. No, you're going because you need or someone else needs. It's not just, I'm coming because I need you to do something, give something to me. It may be that God will actually use me in your encouragement or you and, you know, it's reciprocal. And when this confidence of faith in Christ is strong within us, love and good works will follow. I mean, think about it. God so loved 
and he gave. You can't find the expression of love in reference to God without seeing the expression of giving. Right? Love gives. And I'm not going to launch off into a message on that. You know what I'm talking about. You know that that's true. It's self-denying. And so, when we are encouraging one another in a right focus upon who we are in Christ Jesus, and now you have... Gabino, you have access to God. Right now you have access to God. Through our great high priest. That ought to encourage your soul. And when you come into the presence of your God who has loved you and given to you all that He has given, you are being set up for the encouragement of loving good works yourself. Because you are going to imitate Him whom you have come to know and know more fully. So I think the way to help us in our exercise of faith when it comes to works, when it comes to the evidences of who we are in Christ, is to keep pushing one another, pointing one another toward who we are in Christ. And then from that, the fruits will come. So Christian, how secure are you today? How secure are you in your salvation? I I submit to you, you are as secure as the Son is with the Father. You are as secure as the Spirit is with the Father and the Son. As they are one, Jesus prayed it, right? As they are one, so you would be one in them and with We are one in Him. You may not be able to comprehend that or understand that. I I mean, to me, it blows a circuit in my mind when I try to think through what Jesus prayed in John 17. But sometimes the Spirit in you allows you to go a little deeper in understanding than you did before. And it blesses you. And it, it becomes richer to you. The reality of who you are in the triune God. There is no true assurance apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm saying this for everybody's benefit, but to sort of wrap up what we've been talking about for many of you for the last couple of days. Lifestyle changes apart from Jesus Christ are not the ground of true assurance before God. You need Jesus. You need Jesus every hour or Probably we should say every moment, every hour of every day, right? And you'll never cease needing Jesus. In Him, you are without condemnation now. With Him, your life is hid. It's secure in God. And by His blood, you have full access with full assurance into the very Holy of Holies. Now, right now, I'm feeling a little emotional about that. What's going to happen when I wake up with a congested head tomorrow morning? Can't hardly think straight. Is it still going to be true? It's still going to be true. Because a day doesn't change the reality of who I am and who you are in Christ. Nor do my circumstances. Nor do my battles. Nor do my struggles. Nor do my falls. We have a shepherd who picks us up, don't we? 
He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't forget us. So believe God, brothers and sisters. Believe Him and receive. And this is so important. Receive by faith in your very soul all that He has promised. Because He is faithful. You can trust Him. Bless us, Father, please.